0: So, last week I had a conversation with someone after church, and they said to me, it seems like this idea of justice and mercy is incomplete to me. It seems like grace is bigger than justice and mercy. You know, we talked last week about mercy being the just God, putting Jesus onto the injustice of the world and creating justice, creating a level path. And, uh, and I said to him, I agree, there is more to, 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 uh, to grace. We're talking about grace next week. That's today. That's what we're doing right now. So we're going to see uh, this amazing gift. Grace, grace is such an amazing thing. And when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life and applies the truth of God's grace to your life, it is transformative. It's transformative. Grace Grace is transformative. If, if, if justice and mercy, the mercy of God, is a glass filled up, so a picture of glass, and it's emptied out partially because of our sins and iniquities. Uh, mercy is filling the glass up so it's level. Grace is pouring water into the glass so it overflows. It is preposterous. It is extra on, lathered on, heaped upon us. Grace. So yes, Mercy is a part of grace, but grace is bigger. When I was in seminary, and also when I was working for ordination, two different things, by the way. I had to go through seminary, which was great. I love that. And then the denomination that we're a part of has you go through a whole ordination process. Right, Corey? It's like two or three years. They get you really educated around here. It's a great denomination. I'm thankful for that. But in the course of that, whenever grace comes up, it seems like people have so many different things to say about it. It's easy to define mercy, but grace seems bigger. So there are like multiple answers that people give, and yes, they're all kind of true. It's a big concept. So we're going to look at grace in snapshots today. But what I want to say is, mercy is the answer of God to the problem that we have of injustice and sin in our lives. Mercy is the answer that tells us how can we live with a God who is just when we are not just. When we sin, how do we live with a holy, righteous, just God? The answer is mercy. God's had mercy on us. He's covered our sins and iniquities through Jesus Christ. Grace. Grace, the bigger concept, if you will, the biggest nesting doll with all the little dolls inside of it. Grace is God's answer to the question of human brokenness. Grace is the answer to the question of human Brokenness. Mercy is part of grace, but grace is bigger. To the persistently addicted Christian. (laughs) Did you know Christians could be persistently addicted to things? You know, we're not like magically transported into heaven when we become Christians. We have issues, right? Some of us are addicted to anger, literally. You you lose it, and your brain releases uh, all kinds of happy chemicals. It feels great for about 0.1 seconds. We get addicted to that. We need happy chemicals. How do we get them? We get angry. We lose it. Uh, People are addicted to substances. People are addicted to other people, codependent people, right? Grace is the answer to human brokenness, to those who are persistently in trouble. Grace is the answer to the uh, situation of an unfaithful uh, married person. Grace is the answer. Human brokenness. Grace is the answer. Grace is the answer to the unwed teenage mother carrying a child who they know the father is not going to be around. Grace is the answer to human brokenness. Mercy is God's answer to the question of how a just God can dwell with people who are unjust. Mercy is the answer of God to human brokenness. The amazing thing about grace, is that once you grab a picture of the grace of God, it's a two-for-one deal. Once Once your heart grabs the idea of God's grace, you also know of the love of God, because the grace of God kind of transports the love of God to us in a way that we can understand. The verses that come to mind for me, and I'm not going to put them up when we're talking about God's grace. I prayed about, God, how do I convey this topic of grace in a way that is not sterile, that is not from an academic school? Grace is this. Grace is fill in the blank. I can do that. But grace is fundamentally something we must experience. I didn't want to get too much into that. I want you to experience this concept. You notice I haven't defined it yet, so that's part of the reason, right? I want you to take this into your heart so, I'm going to give you some snapshots. What verses, God, should I use to talk about grace? And the first verse that God brought to mind is one of my favorites. Every pastor says that about every verse they turn to, everyone knows that. Pastors just love the whole Bible. They should, right? 1 John 3 1, the first verse God gave me about grace. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Lavished. Think about the man or woman who considers themselves a grill master. You know? You have your Ziploc bag, you marinate that chicken keep it at the right temperature so it can take in all that goodness. You tenderize it, you like aerate it, you know, whatever it takes to, you inject it. It's all ready to go on the grill. And then at just the right moment, at just the right heat, the grill master takes that piece of meat and puts it on the grill and they just stand there and baste that meat, right? That is as good of a picture as I can come up with of gra- of grace. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. It's lavish, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Mercy is amazing. We had to talk about mercy to understand grace. But grace is extra on. Grace is lavished upon us. The second uh, verse that God brought to mind is from James, and it's, it's a teaching. I'm not going to go into what the teaching is. But even though I'm taking this out of context, uh, I feel like it's a great picture of what James has in mind when he's talking about any struggle or any dilemma that we have. And here's the quote. I'm going to read it. James 4, 6. But he gives us more grace. So the answer to anyone, no matter what their brokenness is, current or past, is, yeah, but he gives us more grace. God is good. You might think, that's a little out of context. It seems too good to be true. Well, it also says very clearly in Romans, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now that is a global picture of what grace looks like. So picture a grace being the ocean. We'll we'll choose a big body of water, the ocean, or all the oceans of the world. Every time you throw something in that ocean, the ocean rises above it. It wouldn't even have to rise at all because it's already so deep. God's grace rises above any human brokenness, anything you can throw at it. God's grace. It's available to you through Jesus. God's grace. His mercy, yes. His justice, yes. But grace, extra on, cups overflowing, basted barbecue meat, (laughs) the ocean rising above all of human sin. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So, God's grace applied by the Holy Spirit within us, which is what we're going to be talking about in this coming series starting next week. Grace applied by the Holy Spirit's indwelling is what transforms us as people. I was really saved by this concept of grace being applied to me by the Holy Spirit. Personally, if you, if you were to ask me the single thing that changed the trajectory of my life and transformed me, I would say, grace. Understanding what it is, this big concept, and the Holy Spirit's indwelling, applying it to my brokenness, to my life. You know, when I was 17, I had been to church for many years. My family attended church. We sat under teaching. My family is a a wonderful Christian family. Uh, But I struggled so much as a teenager. I felt eternally like an outsider to God. I never doubted that God existed or that he was just. I just felt like I was an outsider to God. There was no way I could come to God. I, I felt very unacceptable to God. I had all these sins I was dealing with and sinful impulses in me that I knew were not pleasing to God. And, and uh, on top of that, I was very hard on myself. I still can be pretty hard on myself. And that's not as noble as it sounds. It's not a good thing to be too hard on yourself. Luckily, I have some good friends who helped me with that. Small things, small sins, big sins, whatever it was, it didn't really matter. I always felt condemned. I always felt like an outsider. And going to church growing up did not help me at all. I heard sermons, but I only felt condemnation. Here's a three-point sermon on why you're condemned by God: boom, boom, boom. Oh, I feel worse about myself. During communion on communion Sundays, I would slip into the basement of the church and not take communion because I felt like it was just another judgment of God on me to take communion uh, that I wasn't acceptable enough to come to Him. You see the picture. You know, I was in tough shape. I don't think, and I don't consider that I was a Christian, even though I believed in God, because I didn't take to heart the open secret, which is grace. But one day, 16 years ago, you're doing the math in your head now, how old is this guy? 16 years ago, I was over on Perry Road, an acquaintance through the work at the camp brought us to this church. Fellowship, And we met in, on Perry Road right over here in, this, in another church's building on Saturday nights. And the pastor preached about grace. And it was like a siren and lights went off for me. It was when I was converted to Christ. It was like the, the one question that, when answered, set me free. I believe that I was filled with the Holy Spirit or received the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God applied this concept to my life. I awkwardly went forward and prayed with the pastor. And he uh, was surprised because he hadn't done an altar call. But the work of the Spirit was so strong in me. And I became a voracious student of grace from that day. I actually started reading because I thought to myself, I didn't know about this. I read this book, The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll. You know that one? Philip Yancey, What's So Amazing About Grace? Read that one. This was one that a saint in the church, and now he is with Christ, in Christ, in eternity. Greg Wynn knew how I was with myself. Remember Greg? And he said, yeah, you should really read this book. The pressure's off. You'd really like it. The pressure's off. Weary, can't get it right, struggling to make life work. There's a new way to live. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. This was the one concept that really transformed me. But one thing I've found is that it's not enough to receive grace upon your salvation or even to read all these books about it every day. It's not going to help you. You need to apply this concept afresh every day by putting it in the center of your view and centering your life on it. Because it's so easy to lose this concept of grace as you walk about your life. And when you take your eyes off of Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who says there's no condemnation because you're in me, in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, when you take your eyes off Jesus, like Peter, who walked out in the water, and then sunk famously when he kept his eyes off of Jesus, when you take your eyes off of grace, you just begin to sink. Because the natural order for Christians and non-Christians alike is sin and death. We're all moving towards sin and death, like a gravitational pull, unless Jesus' Holy Spirit is pulling us away from sin and death. So sin and death, sometimes it looks like people doing all kinds of evil things. And we call that just evil things, sins, whatever. But sometimes sin and death looks like religion. And what do we mean by religion? We mean trying harder to do better, to be a better person in your own strength apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. It means performing and thinking that if we perform enough, then we're worthy of grace, the grace God's given us. So you can either make it be all about you. I've done these wrong things. I'm condemned. God can't forgive me. You can make it all about you by making it about your performance where you earn it. You try harder to do better to be a better person, and you lose sight of grace. I was fishing with my kids, and we actually caught a fish, which I was shocked by, about a month ago. We had these little teeny superhero fishing pole for Elias, a pretty princess pole for Olivia, her choice. I'm like, you can have whatever pole you want. I want this one. It's pink. I don't know. They're born with this, I guess. So they cast it. We're at my parents. They cast a few times. And guess what? Nothing happens. They're just no good at fishing. It's a hunt. I'm, I'm, I love fishing. So uh, I, I said, you know, let's take the bobbers off. I know that these garlic-infused worms will catch bass in this lake. So I put the, I put the garlic-infused wacky worm on there, took the bobber off, we cast it out, and I'm kind of holding the pole, you know. You let it sink to the bottom, then you jig it up, and you it, really jig it up, you reel. Really, you jig it up, that's how you catch fish. And then, lo and behold, we caught a fish, a big fish. And Olivia's like, oh! <laughs> they're all, like, freaking out. They're Like, "Ha!" Oh. And they think this probably happens every time you fish. It doesn't. It usually takes so long. I, I was shocked. Uh, I tell you what. So we have this fish, and this pretty princess pole is, like, bending halfway. <laughs> Not even the power of Anna and Elsa could bring the fish in, you know? Or whoever the princesses are, you know? I guess they're all friends. Apparently, according to Disney merchandising. We're all friends. We all lived at the same time. We're in the same movie. So we pull this fish in, and they, it's like this big. No, it's the fish story, right? It's, uh, <laughs> it's only about that long. And uh, so I grab its sandpaper mouth. They have these bass are like that. They don't really have teeth. They have like sandpaper mouth, which is convenient for holding them. And so I held the fish while Olivia put her hand on the fish. And then I was like taking a selfie with it. Well, not a selfie. Uh... Yui, I guess. I was taking a picture of her with it like this, and the fish like wiggled, and I dropped my phone in the lake. My beloved iPhone 5, which I have had for over three years, I'm really proud of it still existing. I'm trying to keep it as long as possible, because they are unjustly expensive. I pulled it out of the lake, shook it, blew it out, rubbed it on my shirt, took pictures, posted them all to Facebook, thinking I'd lose all my pictures, and my phone is fine. It's awesome. If you want to see the fishing trip, you can look on Facebook. But listen, this fish was a wiggler. I mean, it was wiggling and wiggling. The kids were trying to hold it. Eventually, we just had to let it go because it was so insane to hold. And this is not unlike the concept of grace. Grace is a wiggling fish. You grab it one day, and you're like, "This is, I have this thing. I have it. And then it just arches its back and goes nuts. And for you fishermen, if you catch a trout, the long, skinny guys with all the muscles that swim upstream, and holding on to a fish like that is a very difficult endeavor. But we really need to work to holding on grace because grace is like that. Grace is like a wiggling fish. The minute that you drop it, you begin trying to perform to earn God's favor subtly. Or you begin sinning in big and small ways and just feeling crummy about yourself, keeping condemnation on yourself, moving away, ever away, from keeping your eyes on Jesus who says, your good deeds are like filthy rags. Keep your eyes on me. That's what Jesus says whenever you condemn yourself. So we either become religious, or we become self-condemning and participating in evil. We need to keep our eyes on grace. Grace, we need to hold on for dear life. The minute we say to God, we got this. We no longer need you, is the minute we drop that slippery fish before we know it's gone. And we are performing, or we are trying to earn. And for me, my personal personality is self-condemnation. That's my favorite thing to do, being hard on myself. Very hard on myself. Um, But you know what God says to me in the Bible? He says, this is how you set your heart at rest in his presence whenever your heart condemns you. How do I do it? How do I set my heart at rest in your presence whenever my heart condemns me? know this. God is greater than your heart, and he knows everything. That's a Bible verse. I promise. Google it. Paul, when teaching about God's grace, felt the need to reinforce it often. He taught it, and then the churches, about five minutes later, walked away from it. Kind of like when Israel was set free from Egypt. We're free. Let's cross cross the Red Sea and Then about 10 minutes later, we want to go back to Egypt. We had really good bone broth there. We liked being in slavery. It's better than being in the desert, wandering around. We just walk away from grace so quickly. So the Galatian church did this very thing. They received grace happily. And then Paul writes to them and says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And they're turning to a different gospel, which, by the way, is no gospel at all evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Paul was very assertive about grace. He said, and you know, this word gospel means good news. You're turning to a different good news, which is not good news. You're turning to bad news when I have given you The good news. And even if me or someone else preaches a different message, reject it. Hold on to that slippery fish for dear life. Walk in it. This world and our very nature makes us turn from grace. But we have to stand firm. We have to stand firm in the grace. Every week when I mess up, and all of us mess up many times every week, even daily, I have to ask myself the question, is is it about me and my performance, or is it about grace? Is it about what Jesus did? And that brings us to the very heart of grace. This is the best definition. Grace means gift. Grace means all the resources of God brought to bear on you as a gift. Grace is God giving himself for us. A gift. And it says in Ephesians, It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from you. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. It's all a gift. It was never earned, none of it. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift you received from before the day you knew Jesus until the day that you die and you're face-to-face with God. It will be by grace, by grace that you responded, by grace that you persist and by grace that you are saved. That's it. Grace. Unmerited, gifted favor of God on us. Grace from God's perspective. And if you read the parables of the New Testament, I just say, figure out who God is and who we are in the parable and learn from it. Grace for God is like forgiving an enemy who hurt him deeply. Mercy. Satisfying his own justice with his very self through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, mercy. Grace is like God forgiving the enemy who's hurt him so deeply and then inviting us all to his most precious family holiday celebrations, the most intimate setting of a family, even as we continue to turn from him day after day, but in thought, word, and deed. Grace is not only forgiveness. Grace is the gift of God's very self. To be a part of the family of God. How great is the love that God has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. That's grace. Yeah, you hurt me. You continue to hurt me and turn away from me. But guess what? I want you there. I still want you there. All of you. Your brokenness is no match for me. Grace is so extravagant that the Apostle Paul actually had to do a disclaimer. He said, some of you are talking about, you should just sin it up because we've been given grace. And he's like, no, no, that's not a good way to, to walk. <laughs> he had to give a disclaimer because people were like, it's really about God's work from first to last? I guess I'll do whatever the heck I want. And Paul's like, it's a great message, but, but you died to sin. Why would you live in it any longer? Why would you live in that way intentionally? You know? He makes a good point. It's so good he had to do a disclaimer. I am I, just as cynical as the next guy in terms of um, everything. I can be cynical. But I never want to become cynical about the grace of God, the gift of God. And I'm so devoted to this, I'm going to give you an acronym that is very kind of trendy in Christian circles, and it's an excellent acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. The riches of God lavished upon you at the expense of Jesus Christ being forgiven, and then being invited to the family meal. Years ago, I worked as an usher at Proctor's Theater in Schenectady as a volunteer. And uh, I was reminded of this when I read a a book this week that was talking about Les Miserables, the play, which you know as Less Miserables. If you're (laughs) you're not French, she's like, Les Miserables. I'm told it's Les Miserables. Bleh. And some of you who do not like theater say, blah, or literature, because it's a book, right? But this is, a, this is a story that I think that we should pay attention to because it really does teach a core truth. In the story, Jean Valjean is a vagabond. He is a bad dude. He is locked up in prison for 19 years during the French Revolution. And uh, he finally, he's very hardened by prison life. And he finally is released. So he walks for four days trying to find a place that will take him, but no one will receive someone like him. The inns turn him away. The the pubs turn him away. No one will let him in. They know what kind of man he is until he walks up to the bishop, Muriel. and He's an old man, uh, 75 years old. If I remember correctly, I think his sight is is poor. And like Jean Valjean He has lost a lot, but not in the same way. Uh, The bishop had lost most of his valuables because of the French Revolution and uh, having all of his things taken away. But what he did have was some silverware, a soup ladle, and two candlesticks. Those were his possessions. So Valjean tells the story. I was in prison. He doesn't sugarcoat it. Tells the whole story. And uh, I love Bishop Muriel. He says, You did not need to tell me who you were. This is not my house. It's the house of Jesus Christ. No story needed. So he takes the ex-convict to his dinner table, and they dine on soup and bread, figs and cheese and wine, and they use the the silverware. He shows Jean Valjean the bedroom, and they all go to sleep for the night. Despite the the love, mercy of, of the Bishop Muriel, Jean Valjean can't resist it. So he gets up, he steals the silverware and the ladle. You're watching this play like, ah, no, this is not good. He steals it, and uh, of course, the bishop stays asleep, soundly. But the policemen catch him and march him back to the bishop's house. And Valjean knows that he is in big trouble. He's going to go to jail for life or worse. But the officer comes up to to kind of explain and, and to get the charges against him. And before the officer can say anything, The freshly woken up Bishop Muriel says, Oh, here you are. I'm so glad to see you. I can't believe you forgot the candlesticks. (laughs) They're made of pure silver as well. Please take them with the forks and spoons I gave you. And obviously, Jean Valjean is stunned by this. And then he says, when the policeman leaves, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. I have bought your soul from you. I take it back from evil thoughts and deeds. And the spirit of hell, and I give it to God. This is grace. This is grace. This is the grace that brings transformation. Jean Valjean, he changes his allegiance. He becomes the mayor of a small town. He builds a factory. He gives jobs to poor people. And he even raises a dying mother's child with his life. Grace had touched him so deeply, he was transformed. That is a picture of God's grace. Extra on. Mercy is amazing. But it's just one part of the lavish love the Father has put on us, that we should be called the children of God. And while we say, but my sin, God says, but I give more grace. Walk in it. So I say, all of us need grace. All of us. If you'd like to respond to this message, why don't you just stay sitting, lift your hands, and ask God to apply this to your life. Uh, Some of us need mercy and grace because we've never known God before. We've never come to a relationship with Him. It's time to receive it this morning. Some of us need to realize that we've dropped the slimy fish and it has swam far away, swum and we are performing or self-condemning or just living in evil. And uh, God is saying, but I give more grace. Come to me. It's exhausting to walk in the flesh. I think when Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Grace is rest. There is a Sabbath rest for the people of God, it talks about in the Bible. Resting from your works, resting from your self condemnation. Make every effort to enter that rest, the Bible says. Make every effort, as far as it depends on you, to hold on to that fish for dear life. Don't let it go for any reason. So I just invite you to sit. If this is speaking to you, lift your hands and talk to God. And just a comment if God has so lavished grace upon you, think about your relationships with other people. In the church, spouse, children, friends. Think about the brokenness, how people have wronged you in the past and different things that have happened. God gives us grace. We need to give grace to each other. Jesus has a gift for all of us. I went hiking with a friend three weeks ago. We hiked six miles to waterfalls. We were tired. We sat in the lean-to. At High Falls, we were hungry. My friend made a big pot of couscous with red peppers, and it was amazing. Dried, sun-dried tomatoes, basil—it was delicious. And we both—it was a huge pot. We both ate like half of it. We were so full. It was so warm. And then, got into our shorts and we sat underneath the waterfall and just rested for like two hours. And to me, that's a picture of grace filled up and warmed by the love of God through Jesus Christ within and pouring out over you from above, surrendered to the goodness of God. Walk in it. Don't let anyone tell you that you need anything more to be free than Jesus. Don't let anyone tell you that you need more to be free than Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your love, for your grace. We feel it. We want to live into it and become the new creation that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Go and be the church.